Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of the Dr. Will Show, where I interview educators and entrepreneurs on leveling up. Each episode, I zoom in someone who's dope, and we just sit back and have a conversation on how you can live your best life. Now, if this is your first time checking out the podcast, this is the Mobile University for Entrepreneurs, and I'm your host, Dr. Will. Today's guest is Connie Hamilton. She's been on the show previously a couple of times years ago when this was just a podcast on edtech in all things education. But as you know, if you've been listening to podcasts for the past uh, four years, then you know we are about educators expanding their impact beyond the walls of their classroom, making the impact and the income going from curriculum to getting the coin. So, uh, for those who will be listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, and Audible, welcome back, Connie. Will you please introduce yourself? Hey, thanks for having me, Dr. Will. Uh, I'm a former teacher, principal, and curriculum leader. And now, as you kind of mentioned, I'm living my best life. Never thought I could uh, wake up every day and do what it is that I love and call that a career. So I feel really blessed and am just kind of loving my loving my journey. All right. So I'm always curious as to how people got to where they are. Uh, what did you think you would be doing when you were growing up? And how did you find yourself in a K through 12 classroom? Well, I grew up most of my life. I was a only child. It was my mom and me for the first 10 years of my life. So I learned a lot about how to entertain myself and I would quite regularly play school at home. So I'd line up all of my little stuffed animals and, you know, I'd have my really smart stuffed animals and my not so smart stuffed animals. And I'd get all of the worksheets from the classroom and all of the extra ones and I'd do all of him. Hey, my teddy bear had this answer and my stuffed giraffe had that answer and then I'd grade them. And so I was always playing school as a kid. And as I went through high school, I, I was a pretty, pretty good student. And my mom encouraged me to go into something other than teaching so I could make a little more money than the average teacher. And so I started off my academic career at at Michigan State University as an aeronautical engineering major. And I was going to be an engineer. And I found that that's not something that I loved. And eventually I found my way back to education. So I became a teacher. And from there, I thought that I would want to be a teacher of teachers and go into higher ed and, and be a professor at the university level. And my career path just led me in a different way. Mm. So we know that you have written, uh, wow, several books. Uh, how did you discover that you had a gift uh, as a writer, to be a writer? And what do you most like to write about? Um, I think I don't know that I necessarily discovered a gift. I, I work pretty hard at writing. It doesn't come as easily to me as maybe other other people do. But what I discovered was a need to have all of my thoughts and ideas in a in a spot. I was doing professional development before I had authored a book. And as I went through that, I thought, boy, it would sure be nice to have all of this information in one place. And so that's when I started to think, maybe I maybe I could do this. Mm-hmm. So that's 
that was really kind of my my motivation was to provide some resources that people could take along with them. And really my passion is anything that it improves instruction. So looking at, you know, questioning, I've, I've been on your show talking about questioning before and looking at how do we get students engaged and how do we support teachers to um, be at their best in the classroom. And so those are really the topics that I like to write about. And I'm just really, really mindful that I try to provide a good balance between what does the research say, but okay, so the research says that, how do we actually bring that to life in the classroom? So I'm really cognizant of making sure that what I share is practical and not too theoretical or not too heavy on the research, but that it gives a really clear path for how people can put the ideas into practice. Mm. So when do you, in, in doing that and looking at the work that you have been doing as a consultant, how do you know it's time for another book? Um, I th- I listen to where the conversations go in the workshops or the keynotes or um, even just the partnerships that I have. I'm looking for what the pain points are for educators. And because I travel and I'm in so many different places, I have this kind of aerial view of what are some of the common pain points that are not regional or school specific. And then as I see teachers who are who are finding solutions to those issues, or we are collaborating together to make changes, then it's really exciting to be able to say, hey, we have some ideas on how mm-hmm. we can lessen that pain point. And that's what I um, I'm always looking to share. So sometimes it's a blog, sometimes it's an article, and then, you know, other times it's, it's hey, I think that there's enough here for a book. Mm. So you have a new book uh, coming out in, in the upcoming year, uh, Hacking Group Work. Mm-hmm. In your travels and hearing from teachers and, and being out there, what were you seeing that actually inspired you to write that book? Mm. A variety of things. So first, I was seeing a hesitation, um, a reluctancy to even engage in group work at all. And so part of it is getting over that hump of what causes teachers to steer away from group work? What is it that causes them to think this is not for me or kids don't learn this way? Like, what is that misconception that's there? Because there is oodles and oodles of research that supports students learning from one another and through a collaborative process. So that's that first of why is there that hesitancy? So trying to attack the root cause for why it isn't occurring. And then the other piece is that sometimes when we attempt to do group work, it doesn't go well. Almost always it doesn't go well the first few times. And so what are those minor tweaks that we can make that can engage all learners so that one student isn't doing all the work? How can we manage time so that one group doesn't finish way before another group? Like These are just common issues that are universal most every teacher uh, comes into uh, that experience. And so 
trying to identify the unique characteristics within the group work and then sharing options and strategies and solutions in a way that teachers can look at that and go, oh, my my goal is always for somebody to be like, oh, that's a great idea. I wish I'd have thought of it. That's mm. the goal. So in teachers being hesitant about students working together, what surprised you the most? Um, I think, I don't know that it necessarily surprises me, but w- I think one of the one of the hardest pushbacks that I get is the, um, I don't have time and uh, they need, they need to hear it from me first. And so I think that so many teachers, we all embrace the idea of the idea that we want students to be lifelong learners. Mm-hmm. And yet so many lessons are designed to be dependent on the teacher, not for students to be able to make sense of resources that are available. And so once we can have at least a single experience where we're using a text or a video or an infographic or something where students are gaining information from someplace other than the teacher's voice and allowing students to process information from a different resource, then that usually is the breakthrough to help teachers to balance what is my role Mm -hmm. versus what is the role of all of the other resources that I have available because I'm not going with that kid forever. So we need to teach students to learn from blogs, to learn from articles, to learn from text, to learn from podcasts, to learn from all of these different resources so that they aren't dependent on somebody to spoon feed them forever. Mm. So I'll throw this out there to you because when you're saying this, I am reminded of conversations that I've had with teachers that I work with sitting in class, observing how the classroom is being run, you know, as well as, you know, you get on Twitter or you you meet other teachers at conferences. And when we're talking about now sort of personalizing the educational experience for students, giving them greater control over their learning, allowing them to work together and collaborate. And then you throw in a classroom of Chromebooks, PCs, tablets. Now you have something that is totally different or unfamiliar to unfamiliar to some educators who love to drive the show. How are teachers able to, or how could they negotiate that this new environment? with devices when we're talking about now letting go, letting students work together, letting students learn from other sources and do so in a way in which it is most effective, it is engaging, but allows teachers to have that comfort level where they're not freaking out. Not freaking out about not being in control, you mean? In control and and not knowing where this thing is going to end up, you know, because when you get a, a worksheet to somebody, 
you know when it starts and when it finishes versus if I have this assignment where, okay, you're going to get in, into the Chrome, you're going to get in a Chromebook. Maybe you'll be working together in a Google uh, presentation and everyone has these ah. different parts to play and, you know, oh, we're going to add some video to that. Maybe we're going to go to Canva, create an infographic, but there's a, there can be a lot of moving parts to this. And for those teachers who may not be comfortable with using technology, as well as uncomfortable with, again, letting go where they're not dictating every moment of instruction. I think really the key there is shifting away from the idea that it's about the technology versus it's about it still is about the end result. So if, if, if you have clarity on what the end result is going to be for a worksheet, you can also have clarity about what the end result is going to be, regardless of what the tool is. If it's a worksheet, if it's a it's an interactive Skype session or Zoom call or um, some kind of a collaboration on Google, anything, the, as long as you have clarity on what it is that you want students to learn and how you will know that they've learned it, the journey of how you get there is that's where the pedagogy comes in. Like that's where the art of teaching comes in. And so being mindful about how specific strategies are selected and selecting them, not because they're cool or fun or because I just learned them last week, um, but rather because they match what it is that I'm trying to achieve. So for example, if you're working on editing, and revising a piece of writing, you you can do that with paper pencil and you can trade papers and students can provide feedback. You can do it on Flipgrid where they're having conversations. I'm, I read your paper and here's here are some comments that I have for you. You can do it on a Google Doc where the peer editor is either making suggestions or making comments. And those two things are different as well as you know if you're making suggestions you're now you're collaborating on a single piece whereas if you're giving comments then the original author takes those comments and do does what they want so it's really about what is it that you're trying to achieve do you want two voices in then you're looking at some kind of a collaboration opportunity do you want to teach them how to critique how to notice and how to provide quality feedback then you're looking at it from uh, like what I would call a, a developmental or a copy editor perspective of I'm just giving you feedback, but I'm not going to give you suggestions. And the, ref the feedback maybe is in the form of re reflective questions or um, just some here's something that I noticed for you to chew on. Uh, so it's just always about what is it that you're trying to accomplish and having that clarity and then going and choosing the tool. I think there's a little less anxiety around that if you know that you chose the tool with intention and purpose, than if you're like, okay, somebody told me that I should be using Canva and I don't really know how to use that and so I'm nervous about it versus no, I don't want an essay, I want an infographic and I know that Canva is the best way or one of the best, easiest ways to provide an infographic because they have templates. And then from there, after we get them on Canva, then maybe we're going to move to something more 
um, open like publisher where you don't have a template and you're going to create the template for yourself. So how, you know, it, is there a scaffold that's involved? There's just a whole bunch of just purposeful decisions that are needed in the planning process. All right. So, you know, I'm checking out the bookshelf. I'm seeing some of yours sitting right there on the top. And as I mentioned, you are no stranger uh, to writing books. Some of the things that I don't know if my listeners un know about this is when you are going with certain education publishers outside of the bigger names, you know, like a random house or what have you, uh, you're not getting that $16,000, $20,000 upfront money. You, you, the, you know, hey, the book is the book may look shiny and it may be in Barnes and Noble and on Amazon and all those places. You know, you can go get the photo op, you know, like, hey, look, I'm published. Uh, but that's not how the money game is played. How have you been able to and how did you learn how to turn your books into other revenue streams? So, you know, because you can get a book published for vanity. But if you're, again, not being one of one of those bigger houses, some companies are not going to market you. They're not going to put your books out there. And that, you know, 35, 40 percent of each sale that you may get, if you sell a whole bunch of them, that's fantastic. But if you're not, then that book has to serve another purpose. So once the book is published, it's out there. How are you? able to then say, okay, this book is going to turn into the professional development that I lead at a school. It, it may turn into a master class, or it may turn into some keynote sessions. How did you learn how to do all of that? Um, I think I think my journey might be a little in reverse from a lot of other authors. So as I kind of alluded to originally, I tend to get my inspiration for writing based on where the current conversations are in the schools where I work or the breakout sessions that I'm offering, what, what are people interested in? And then from there, I'm already doing professional development in that area. And then it's about, okay, is there enough here where a resource would be nice? And so I, I do it in reverse. I usually have the PD first. If I have an idea for a piece of writing, I'll offer to do a breakout session at a conference and I'll just kind of try it out. Is there interest in this? What kind of feedback do I get? Um, are there follow-up questions? Does it lead into any kind of relationships? And the topics that are more received or better better received or have a bigger audience, then those are the ones that I will consider looking at something on a on a bigger scale. So rather than chasing hot topics, um, the way that publishing works is that if something is hot right now, by the time you get a book on the shelf, it's not going to be anymore. It takes a long time. And so you have to be a little ahead of the game in order to time that right and and if you want to deal with things that are hot. So I don't necessarily try to chase the buzzword of the day or month or year. 
I try to look at things that are more sustainable, things that are evergreen within education. So like questions is not a hot topic. It is something we are always going to be looking at. How can we improve on our questioning? Group work is not a buzzword. It's there's a ton of research out there and it's going to be happening forever. And so looking at those kinds of um, areas of instruction, I think is beneficial from that perspective. Mm. And so a lot of us get into this game in different ways. <clears throat> I myself just, I was presenting at different conferences around the state and just started to sort of build a name and a reputation for myself. And then I started to have people approach me hey, could you do some consulting? What is your rate? Could you come to our school? Can you, could you keynote at this conference? What was your entry point into educational consulting and how would you explain the work you do? So it's, I started as a, I was a principal and a curriculum director in a very, very small school district. And when I say very small, I mean, we had less than a thousand students in the district. And so with the small size comes small budgets. So when it came time for professional development, we didn't have money to bring anybody in. And so a lot of that was me reaching out, using my professional network and trying to bring that back into my own school. So with questioning, that's where it started is I began, I saw a need for the teachers in my school to improve in their questioning. And so I just started to research it like crazy. And I brought, sorry about that. I started to research it like crazy. And I brought um, research and strategies from a variety of different places and began to synthesize all of that, the best pieces from everyone. Um, so I started to research all of that and bring it in to PD. Well, then in our small regional area, other schools began the teachers talk and other schools and other school leaders were like, hey, you're in a neighboring school district. Will you come and lead our PD? And I originally started with just swapping. So, yeah, I can do some questioning for your PD day if you'll come over and do some tech info. And then from there, I wanted to attend different kinds of conferences. And so many times if you present at a conference, you get free registration. So again, trying to be budget friendly, I would um, offer to present at a conference on questioning. And then I could attend as a participant. Really, I wasn't interested so much in expanding my my message, I was really more interested at the time of getting into the conference for free so I could learn from other people. But what happened as a result of that, as you alluded to, is that at the end of it, you find that people want to know more and they begin to approach and say, hey, do you do this? And so it just sort of fell into my lap in a really organic way. And then I started doing more and more. I started traveling within my state. I live in, in Michigan. And from there, I got the bug. Like as an administrator, you don't do a whole lot of teaching anymore. And I really loved that seeing those light bulb moments and the ahas of the people who were in the workshops. And I thought, boy, this is something I would really like to keep doing. 
And so from there, I just continued to pursue it and was fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time a few different times and connect with some people who were able to provide me with some mentoring and connections. And it it just all worked out. Mm. I want to follow up with that when you mentioned mentoring and getting that assistance. It is important for people to find that network of a few people who are doing this work, not only maybe at your level, but at a level ahead of you, who can kind of tell you, hey, go maybe look for this website to get incorporated or go to your small business association to learn these gyms. Uh, make sure you go get some uh, business insurance or just little tips like that, as well as so how do you generate leads and all of those things? How was it for you in finding those mentors, that group of people that could help you uh, make this a real business? Right. Because, you know, like, like I've told anyone, there's a difference between someone approaching you and you getting that one job and you never getting anything else versus you, you saying, I'm going to be intentional about creating a business where I have income coming in on a consistent basis or gigs lined up for months on out. So how did that happen for you? Did it sort of organically happen where you was like, Oh, I'm meeting these. I know these four people and I'm just calling them up. Or were you intentional in putting together this group of people to speak with so you could learn what you needed to do in order to make your business a real real business? Uh, I I would say it was a combination of those things. There were some areas where I knew that I didn't have a lot of information. So, for example, when I first started out and I first thought, boy, I'd like to do this someday, (laughs) Uh, there was a, a friend of mine, actually my co-author for the um, Strained and Drained Tools for Overworked Teachers book, uh, Dorothy Vanderjack. She was already doing professional development and she was also working in a school. And so I sat down and said, how do you, how do, you do this? Like, what do I need to know? How does this, how does this deal with, um, how does this co- correlate with retirement within the state and how much money you can make? after you retire and there's limitations on all of that. And so we, I said, let, can I, can I take you to happy hour? Like, can we, can I have just a little bit of your time? So we were both at a meeting and then afterwards we went to happy hour. Like I, I, I remember exactly where we were sitting. I remember the cocktails that we had and she just shared with me things like you're going to need an LLC. You don't you don't put your social security number out there everywhere. You need to get an EIN number. And you know, she just kind of walked me through that and thankfully Google is out there and you you can Google just about anything and, and get some pretty good guidance. I was pretty determined not to pay for any advice. So I didn't hire a lawyer. I didn't, I didn't hire, I eventually hired an accountant, but initially I didn't hire anybody to file my LLC. I didn't hire anybody to get my EIN number, like all of that stuff you can do on your own for free. Somebody wants to charge you $800 to file an LLC, sign me up for that because that takes four minutes. So there's no need to do that kind of thing. So just looking at 
who's doing what it is that I want to do? And then knowing the questions to ask, like I would always say, you know, what do I need to know? Uh, what are some of the things you wish that you knew? Uh, and then I almost always close any conversations with what questions should I have asked that I didn't? Mm -hmm. um, and so that that just line of inquiry and curiosity. And then it was about networking. Like I took every opportunity that I could to network. I started my networking on Twitter when I was leading Twitter chats. And that gave me the, the purpose to reach out to really big names to say, hey, I'm hosting a Twitter chat. Would you like to be the guest moderator? And uh, I remember the day that I thought, I'm going to reach out to Doug Fisher and see if he will do a Twitter chat. And so I did. I just sent him a tweet and he said, I've never done a Twitter chat before. I don't I don't know what that is, but I'm willing to learn. And I said, well, you're going to be at the ASCD conference in a couple of months. And so am I. Would you like to meet up and I can talk to you about it? So here's me like nobody. I was just a curriculum director running a Twitter chat on the side. And now I'm going to have coffee with Doug Fisher. And he comes up and he says, do you mind if my friend Nancy joins us? So here I am sitting there having coffee with Doug Fisher and Nancy Fry, teaching them how to do a Twitter chat. I mean, these were like my idols. I read nearly every book that they wrote on literacy and pedagogy. And here I was being able to teach them something. And two years later, I met up with them once again. And Doug said, what, what, are, you, what are your career aspirations? I'm like, I, I want to do what you do. And he said, I think I'd like to have you on my cadre. So that connection, you know, two years prior, I had no idea that that was going to lead to somebody who has the opportunity to open doors quickly. He took mm -hmm. me under his wing and showed me some ropes. And I'm forever grateful for the opportunities that Doug and Nancy provided for me. But I think that I never would have had the courage to do that if I hadn't, I had a business, uh, a business coach and she helped me kind of get my you know what together. <laughs> she held me accountable. She helped me develop short and long-term goals and make those goals come to life. And she helped me to really visualize mm -hmm. uh, beyond my ceiling. Like I thought my ceiling was I wanted to be an author. And she's like, no, you, you, it could be beyond that. It's not just about publishing a book, but see yourself as a peer of Doug Fisher, not as a fan of Doug Fisher. And that really changed the way that I began to think about the contributions that I could make is these people are my peers. Some of them are more experienced and, and some of them are more successful and most of them make more money than I do, but they're all my peers. And that empowered me to take risks that I might not have normally taken. Mm, I love what you said right there. So <clears throat> you get the business coach now. Ooh, people, 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 people. I want y'all to really listen to what Connie's about to say here. She does not know the question I'm about to ask her, but when she talked about the business coach and working with the business coach and getting her to think grander, 
and the contribution she wanted to make, etc. I, I want to go there. I want to stay there for a little bit because when you are thinking about doing this, you may not have a real concrete understanding of what this means. You've gone to conferences, right? So you've seen Dr. Kathleen Tucker speak. You've seen Tom Murray lead sessions. You've seen Matt Miller do his thing, but you don't know behind the scenes what work is going on to prepare for that moment, to prepare what they're going to be doing. How did you create or discover your package, right, of these are the workshops I'm going to be given. These are the keynotes uh, talks that I'm going to give. This is the coaching that I'm going to do and, and actually create, right, a, a plan, a package, a lineup, a listing of all of what Connie Hamilton Incorporated is going to be doing. Because again, like you can't wing this thing. Like you have to understand and be sure and be intentional about what you're going to be doing because not only will uh, you can put these things on your website, of course, people can Google you and see these things, but as you are getting out here and you are sort of making a name for yourself and people are hearing about you, school districts are going to do their research, but they're also going to, going to reach out to you. And if they ask you, hey, do you, we're really looking for social emotional learning. If you don't do social emotional learning, you don't need to say yes to that job, right? Right. You, you need to go, <clears throat> even if you think, well, I can pull this off. No, you have to say, well, that isn't really in my wheelhouse and recommend someone else and, say, and, and, and you know, say, this is what I do. And if you ever need that, you know, it would be great if you contacted me again. But how did you come up with everything so that you knew this is me, this is my lane, this is what I'm rolling with, and put everything together to where you had something that was complete and not something that was sort of like that junk drawer people have in the kitchen where you just throw stuff in and you kind of look through it. Okay, there go the screwdriver. Uh, but it's something that everything is in place. Um, well, I've I have two responses to that. First is most everything that's on my website, but well, actually not most. Every single session that's described on my website is something that I've already done. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't go up until it has already been tried, vetted, and that I feel confident that yes, other people could benefit from it. So um, I don't necessarily like sit back and say, what do I want to sell? And then pop it up and hope people buy it. I really do it from the flip of, boy, there was a lot of interest in that. Other people might also want it. And so then it goes up. So th that process is almost like a retrospect type of process. I'm always kind of looking again as like, what are people interested in? And then the second piece of that, 
is looking at um, how I use my network to expand the avenues that my expertise does fit in. So like, for example, you mentioned social emotional learning. I never would have thought that I would do work within social emotional learning. However, as I'm learning about SEL and I'm working with people within that piece, there are times when I say, you know, you know a lot about social emotional learning and the counseling and the therapeutic side behind it. And I know a lot about how to ask good questions. I wonder if we might be able to collaborate and put together a, a joint article or present together or something from that perspective so that I'm connecting my myself with people in a lot of different places. So if somebody calls and says, hey, can you do something with um, behavior or restorative practices? I'm going to say, I am not your person for restorative practices, but I know somebody who is your person for restorative practice. And I know that because I've worked with that person through the lens of questioning, that when he gets the call to say, hey, our school really needs questioning, that he's going to do the reverse because we've had the opportunity to grow an appreciation for one another and to learn a little bit. And now I don't have tunnel vision in my lane, that my lane is just about questioning. I can begin to think of, well, how does questioning work in, um, in equity? How does questioning work with assessment? How does questioning work with creating inclusive environment and culture within the school setting? Questioning has a really large impact that is beyond, do you know the right answer? And so it broadens the perspective that I can bring to my field to make sure that I don't stay too narrow, but like you said, I don't have the junk drawer and, and present myself as an expert on everything because I'm clearly not. Awesome, awesome. And I like how you just, <clears throat> excuse me, laid this out because you have your you have your your one thing of questioning, but how does questioning branch out? so that you are able to do multiple things, but still stay in your wheelhouse of expertise and experience. That is yeah. awesome. Great gym, people. Write that down, people. You you really need to, because I talk about this. I just in, was interviewed on my EdTech uh, uh, Life podcast, and I even talked about this, where you don't want to get out there and be like, uh, I'm the Google person, I'm the Microsoft person, I'm the keynote person, and I'm this. And now, if you said I am the student presentation voice person, and then underneath that, well, how does that work with Google? How does that work with Microsoft? That's different. But to just be like uh, a NASCAR person, and it's like I got all of these badges, and I'm doing all of this stuff, you can't build an audience. You can't build an expertise. And the downside to that is you'll just be a trainer. The problem with being a trainer, and I am a trainer down to the depths of my toes, is if you've done your job the right way, you don't go back. You train up a school district. They're good to go. You walk away. 
And it's not one of those things to where I'm going to sign a contract with a school district, <clears throat> excuse me, for two months to where you can actually really work towards a transformation. Your job is to get in, get them going and get out. Now, that may be what you want to do. But for me and being that being a trainer again, hey, that's for sure a wheelhouse of mine. You don't get to see the transformation from the day you show up to three months down the line. How are they actually using Schoology in their classroom? And so I guess you just have to pick and choose of what you want to accomplish and how you want your work to be. To that end, people can Google any information, right? They don't need you to tell them this is this. And I know some people may feel like, what? But it's true. If you've ever taught, you even know kids don't need you to tell them a fact. Amen. Because they're already Googling it already. And if you've been in that classroom, you know that you've had students turn in answers that you know they Googled the answer for. So they don't need you for that. Um, people and, and organizations, they're looking for a practice. They're looking for an application. They're looking for a, a transformation, that spark in new thinking. Please walk us through one of your sessions. What does it look like? Um, I am, I'm a boots on the ground kind of person. So my ideal partnership with a school district is to launch um, a, a foundation. Like This is what questioning is. This is how I'm going to, in I, I always make sure that I practice what I preach. So if I'm talking about engagement, you are not going to sit for more than nine minutes listening to me speak. Many times I'm only going to be talking for two minutes and then you're going to be working for 10, 15 minutes, applying that, discovering on your own. I'm bringing in tools and resources so that I'm not your only source. So exactly like you said, when I'm gone, you know where you can continue to get information. That being said, there are also limitations to the environment of me teaching adults in a space. And so when the transfer is steep, when you have teachers that are that that um, maybe have are challenged by how do I take this example that Connie gave me on in how to question in second grade math, and I'm a high school PE teacher. So how do I make that transition? Sometimes that is a stretch. And I think that presenters that assume that everyone in the audience is able to make that leap are really missing the boat. And a lot of times people walk out and say, well, that was really interesting, but I don't teach that. Mm -hmm. And so I try to do a launch like we all got the same information. We all have the common language, common beliefs, common vocabulary around questioning and engagement. And then I look to ways that I could get into classrooms and use the classroom setting as the sandbox. So mm -hmm. now I'm not talking about hypothetical scenarios. 
I'm actually using Dr. Will's classroom. This is what we saw. This is what the kids did. This is what how they responded to the questions. And then here are three things that you could do to make it better. And here are three things that you do that you already did and that you avoided these three pitfalls because of what you did do. And so that that can lead to, I don't know, 20, 30-day contracts in a single school district of getting into classrooms and supporting it and being part of that transformation. And that's part of just the relationship and the partnership and the connection. You you just feel like these are my people now. So um, that's really kind of my ideal is getting everyone in a room and then making the personalized learning. I think of it as like the gradual release of responsibility. So many times we have that one and done, like I'm going to show you how to do it. And then off you go, you're on your own. And so many times you have that like one and done and it's like the administration is thinking, all right, you've been trained. Now you should be able to be an expert at it. And we don't allow educators in the classroom and teachers the grace to tinker with it. I mean, we have bulletin boards all over the place that say F-A-I-L, right? First attempt in learning, or it's okay to um, not know the answer, or let's have a growth mindset. But yet, you go to a six-hour PD and then all of a sudden you're an expert, it just doesn't work that way. And so trying to make sure that we model in the learning process that teachers have this time period where they're like, yeah, I understand the concept, but I'm not really sure how I can apply it in my setting and, and so forth. So um, when I am doing a training, the very first thing that happens is people are up and out of their seats. I have music going. I'm usually dancing up in the front, setting the stage, making sure like, hey, this is not going to be a sit and get. You are going to be working. You are going to be moving. You can, when they say, do we have to sit, you know, do we have assigned seats? Oh, no, you can sit wherever you want. And in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, because I'm going to move you in five minutes. <laughs> so you can sit wherever you want, but I'm, I'm going to pick where you're sitting next. And so really making sure that then at any point during the session, I can stay, take a step back and say, all right, now let's process on the protocol that we used or the strategy that we used to help you to learn about this particular concept. We used a jigsaw. We used a think-pair-share that had a little tweak to it. Um, we were we were using tangible sorting, affinity mapping, whatever it is, but we're doing those in the workshop. So very hands-on, very engaging. Uh, I want teachers to either leave with, yes, I learned this, and I learned ways that I can teach what it is that I do. And in the ideal, perfect setting, they get both of those things. Mm. But um, I try to design it so that it's either this is cool content or this is cool delivery, and I can pull something from either one of those categories. And that's kind of... Anybody that's been in one of, one of my workshops, I, I think I'm, they, they know it's, you're going to be busy. You're going to be working. <laughs> so when people visit your website, uh, a lot of information is, Hey, it's, I love the way it's designed as well. So, thank you. you know, I'm always looking, you're welcome. I'm always looking because I really need to 
my website is down right now because I'm going through this pivot of, of my business right now. So I'm looking, okay, how these websites, how is one doing their website? But what I noticed, Connie, when do you sleep, Connie? You are on the road. You are booked and busy getting that coin. I love to see it. How do you generate leads, right? Because not all of us in this game have schedules like yours. Now, first, I don't want a schedule like that because I actually, you know, I'm doing this thing full time. So, I, I you know, I want to be busy, but not like that because I, I do work full time. But there are people who have started and they were like, I'm going all in. I'm pushing the chips all on the table. And their schedules don't look like yours. So how do you generate leads? And what is it like to be on the road as much as you are? Well, first of all, this did not happen overnight. <laughs> and I had the I, I had the great opportunity, again, in my small school district to ease out slowly. So I was full time and I was just kind of doing little gigs here and there wherever I could and um, maybe taking a day off here or there as a, a as a personal day or working in the summer, whatever. And then as the demand increased, I decreased my contract. So I went to the superintendent and said, hey, how about if I am 75 percent? So I became 75 percent employee and then I went to 50 percent employee. And then little, here's a little strategy that'll give you a sneak peek of how I think um, in the state of Michigan, you get toward your retirement, you get a year's worth of credit, but you have to have X number of days that you work. So if I went below 50%, I wasn't going to get a full year's credit and my my credit for years served would be prorated. So I had a school district in Michigan that wanted to hire me for, I don't know, a lot of days, 20 or 30 days. And so I subcontracted through my school. So I stayed an employee of my school district. And then the other school district that wanted to hire me actually paid my school district for my time so that I could still be above 50% and get my credit. But anyway, um, right. And then it's word of mouth. Like you have time to be able to make connections. And when you do a good job and, and people see uh, the transformation and the impact that you have, people will say, hey, this was a great workshop or my teachers really made it this this really made a difference for my teachers. And people almost almost all of my leads now are I heard blah, blah, blah. So word of mouth is a great way. Uh, you give people a little sneak peek of what you are able to do by doing breakout sessions at workshops. Uh, I am not as good as many people are as like having a YouTube channel or uh, providing like little video snippets. But that's another really great way that people just give a little glance of what you have that is is available. So, um, I, you know, I, I also try to I don't sell myself. So whenever I'm in a workshop, I'm I'm very mindful about how I communicate the fact that I do consulting. I mm. never say, if you'd like to hire me, <laughs> I never say, um, in my book on chapter, I talk about blah, blah, blah in chapter four. Instead, 
of doing that, I will, I don't say it. I just pull the book out and I just will, like, there might be a time when I'm really intentional that I'm like, okay, I just want to read this one thing to you. And I can't remember exactly how I said it. So I'm just going to read it. And I just might read three or three or four lines, but it's part of what I'm delivering. They see the book. It's in my hand. They see that I'm reading it. They hear the nugget that's there that I picked. And it's just like, a oh, where where did that book come from? What What's the name of that book? I'm like, oh, the name of that book is Hacking Questions. Oh, who's it by? It's me. I wrote it. <laughs> you know, so not like overselling. I, I feel like people don't want to be pitched to. They don't want you to push yourself onto them. And it very often people will be like, do you do professional development? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I absolutely do. And then I send them to my website. The other thing that I do is at the end of all of my sessions, I have these reminder cards that I give to folks and I give them three choices. You can either say, no, thank you. And just leave it on the pay on the table and don't write anything on it. Or you can, I don't have any of these because I just put them in the mailbox today. You can write, Dear Connie, and if you have a question for me, mm -hmm. I will sort through all the ones that say, Dear Connie, I'll respond to your question immediately, and I'll put it in the mail within a week. And I do. I almost always do that on the airplane on the ride home. Wow. And then the other option that you have, I don't want to show you um, anybody's like address or anything, but the other option that you have is just to like make a note to yourself. So if there's a nugget, if there's something that you want to hold yourself accountable for, if there's something that you know that you're going to try in the classroom, um, just write yourself a little note. And I'm going to hold on to these. These are all the ones that are going out at, at the beginning of 2023. So I hold on to these until usually after a break, after spring break, after winter break, after summer break, when people are like fresh again and they might need that little bump. It's to me from me. This is what I learned in Connie Hamilton session. But like all of my website, my email, everything is on here. So it serves as like a little three months later. Remember this workshop that you were in? And They'll remember what they learned because they wrote it. And this is a way that I generate leads as well. A lot of times the questions to me are, do you do PD? <laughs> and so it's just a subtle way that I can connect with different people. And then when I respond to them, it's like, wow, she took the time to really answer my question thoroughly. So again, it's about making those connections. All right. And how is it? What's the travel like? Uh, because when you're a teacher, you work at a school district, you know, you you're like everyone else who has a, a nine to five in terms of you're getting up and you get into your location and hey, you do what you do and you go home. It's just like a regular routine of all of that. Now, when I first started my career, uh out of college and started to, you know, you, you get the the real job with the business cards, et cetera. I work, I have worked as a recruiter. Okay. So I know personally, you know, what it's like to hop on that plane or to, you know, I was in uh, Boston, but to get on a train 
And I'm going over, I'm over here today, I'm over there tomorrow, I'm doing all this stuff. And so I'm just like always just on the go. And I'm like, all right. Uh, but you are, that's what you're doing now, right? Now, what what is it like knowing, hey, I can be in uh, this city in Michigan this week? Next week, I could be in Florida. And the week after that, you can be in Texas. How, how how do you negotiate all of that travel and preparing for that travel while still making sure that your presentations, your keynotes, everything that you have, like the little cards you showed us, like everything that you have is ready for you to go? Um. Well, I got some good advice from people who are already doing it. So there are a few things that I do to make travel a little easier for me. Number one is pick an airline, pick a hotel and stick with it because the the status and the loyalty benefits are really, really helpful. So for example, I fly American Airlines and I only fly American Airlines unless I am really, really stuck. And so I have, I'm executive platinum with American Airlines. So that means if my flight is canceled, I have my own 800 number for executive platinum so that I can get rerouted. And I get like before everybody else, I get the seat on the next flight before they're all filled up. Um, I don't, I, I can fly standby. So if a gig ends early and I want to try to catch an earlier flight and get home to where I need to be. I can do that. So there are definitely perks that come along with being loyal. So that's one thing is just like pick your thing. And like for the hotels, there's usually there's a 24 hour cancellation. If you cancel within 24 hours, you still have to pay for it. But if you have status, then you can just say, I'm hoping that as a titanium member that you're willing to waive the cancellation fee for me. And they're like, oh, yes, Miss Hamilton, of course, we'll be happy to do that for you. So they're just there are benefits. So I, as tempting as it is to save 20 bucks to stay at one hotel over the other, it's, it's not, to me, it's not worth it. I save the extra 20 bucks. Um, so the other thing is I have, you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a female. I got a lot of stuff. I have makeup. I got hair. I got all that stuff. So I have a suitcase that is pretty much half packed at all times. I have a, an extra toothbrush, an extra hairbrush. Like I don't have to pack any of my toiletries. They always stay in. I never unpack my toiletries. They just stay there. So when it comes time for me to go, I just pack my clothes and that's it. As far as materials go, like my, you know, my postcards and any tools and that type of thing, um, I just make a checklist. So as I'm developing the PowerPoint or the whatever it is, I make notes to myself about what materials that I need. And then that's just a list that tells me these are the things that I need to pack. Because there's nothing worse than having a protocol that you use popsicle sticks to make groups for and you forgot your stinking popsicle sticks. Like then it's it's all in the toilet after that. So like you just learn some things to help you be efficient. I do not, and this is not an advice, so don't don't come calling me if you miss your flight, but I am not a person that gets to the airport two hours early. Like to me, 
I, if I am there and it says your plane is boarding in eight minutes, I am like jackpot. That's my sweet spot. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to be at the gate any, any earlier than that. Cause all I'm doing is sitting there. I can't get anything done at the gate. I can't accomplish anything during that time. And I want to maximize all of my time. So if I wake up in the morning, I stay at the hotel or I, you know, if there's, if there's a lounge or something that I have access to, then I'll stay in the lounge so that I can actually work until I go to the gate. Um, I buy the air, I buy Wi-Fi on the plane so that I can work on the plane too. I find that to be worth it. Although airline Wi-Fi is very, very, very slow. So don't do anything that's heavy internet, but there are some things you can do. So I don't, does that, did you have any other like specific wonderings about travel? No, and that was it. I mean, you dropped some really, really good gems and nuggets because with that amount of traveling, like it's easy. Look, you can easily leave stuff just going on vacation. You know, you can get to the hotel and go, we left so-and-so. Well, I guess we got to go buy it. And that's just one trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're thinking about the fact that this is again. I'm looking. I'm looking at your calendar, uh, and for those people who are doing this consistently, the way you want to do it, you know that means you could be traveling two, three days a week. Mm-hmm. And with that, how do you do that in the best way so that you can do make this as easy as possible on you? Because already physically and mentally, that much traveling is is a drain as it is. But to make sure that, hey. I'm doing this in a way to which I have all of my things that I need. I have my materials that I need, uh, my PowerPoints, everything is on point. And, and, and I, cause I want people to understand again, from your vantage point of these are your experiences, right? And part of having guests like yourself on the show is for people to get that bird's eye view and to get those gems. Like you just mentioned, like I never even thought about, Oh, I'm going to have my, my luggage uh, half packed with these things already. So I don't even have to worry about them. They're already done. Mm-hmm. And the, and here's my checklist of, okay, I know I'm going to be using popsicles. Let's have this already there. So I don't get there. Oh, let's do this activity. And I go, I'm going in my bag. Oh, I don't have popsicle, popsicles. Uh, yeah. and so, and so, <laughs> those are the things I want people to hear and learn about uh, because. Dongles, like dongles, yeah. connections and chargers. Yes always have extra. I literally just, I just was, I just got back from San Antonio yesterday and I left my computer charger plugged in, in one of the sessions. So I've been doing this, I feel like a million years and I still leave stuff behind. And I was talking to Julie Stern and I'm like, ah, I I know I'm going to run out of juice on my laptop on the way home. And so I'm not going to be able to work as much as I normally would on the plane, but I'll get as much done as I can. She's like, yep, I have donated a few gifted. I think that was the word she used. (laughs) I've gifted a few dongles and chargers to school districts myself, but I've extras. Like I know when I come home, I can buy a new one. I'm always going to have one in the back, but I have another charger at home that always stays here. And I have one in my bag. I have two dongles in my bag. Because that's definitely not something that I want to be without because you're SOL if you don't have a dongle. So extra batteries. I have AAA batteries in my in my laptop bag because I need the batteries for my clicker and I don't want to be standing at the podium the entire time. So, you know, just you you learn 
like, oh, I don't want that to happen again. I better put some extra batteries in my bag. Oh, yeah. And it, I presented at ISTE this summer, and I forgot to bring. <laughs> I forgot well, to you bring... know what? If you're going to forget to bring technology, <laughs> ISTE's the place to do it. Because all you have to do is, like, turn to your left and say, hey, do you have a dongle I could borrow? And for sure someone's going to have one. Yeah, she did have one. But I was just sitting here going, like, oh, my gosh. Like, uh, I've got this. And so that's why, you know, I'm glad you mentioned everything because I want it. I want people to have this in their mind because it can be easy because it may be some people may hear this and go, oh, well, yeah, who didn't know that? But until it happens to you mm -hmm. and if you are not prepared, you're not having this sort of this is at the forefront of my thinking, it will happen to you. It's just mm -hmm. like. As a teacher, you can literally go to work and forget your charger from your district laptop at your house. You can leave your cell phone at home. You can leave your dongle at home. Like anything can happen. I mean, you know that on a regular basis. Yep. So understanding how with this, this has to be thought out because when you're traveling, uh, you, you know, you, you, you like to live a little dangerously, Connie, because you're like, I'm not a two hour person, nah. uh, <laughs> I'm not but I, but person. I'm TSA pre-checked and like, I, you like, I got all this. I don't, I don't check luggage unless I absolutely have to, I carry it all with me. Cause that's another thing I'm terrified of losing my luggage yes. I, and I pack supplies in my luggage and my actual suitcase because they're heavy. You know, I always bring a couple of books to give away. Books are heavy mm -hmm, mm -hmm. postcards. Heavy. Like people often lift my suitcase and are like, what the heck do you have in there? Heavy stuff. That's why I've been there. <laughs> <laughs> this is all right. It's been great having you back uh on the show, Connie. And talk and again, talking about consulting, uh, which you know is different because I don't know if you thought you were gonna be talking about this topic today, Connie. <laughs> Well, you know, we've but in the past we've talked about instructional strategies, but you know, this it's it's kind of nice to be able to share some of the experiences and help people to think about things from a from a different perspective. It's just, you know, everything you do is marketing. So if you don't have your dongle, it says something about how prepared you are as a presenter. So it's besides the fact that it just gets you all rattled. I usually yes. just make a joke out of it, right? Like if technology doesn't work, I say, oh, don't don't even tell me this has never happened to you. <laughs> See, now you're saying that now I'm saying to myself, I need to go buy me another one. Uh, because having one that I have isn't enough. So I need to go buy me, buy me another one. And take uh, a Sharpie marker and put your name and your cell phone number on it. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got to go. I got to make sure I do that one because I haven't done that one. Um as well. But I love the gems that you've dropped, the postcards, all of those things, because what's interesting is that even if you are not getting paid to consult, but you pre you're presenting at ISTE or FETC or TCEA, that card gem that you just dropped is something that could turn into a consulting gig, mm -hmm. because now you have a way to reach out to people. And from that, you could actually build an email list, mm -hmm. right? Without having to use 
uh, some of those online ones like ConvertKit, et cetera, because uh, now you're getting this information directly from people at this conference where you've had that face-to-face contact with. So uh, I, I love that, Jim. So I'm going to steal that one. I uh, On top of that, I so I use MailChimp, yes. and I create a landing page in MailChimp that asks if they want access to the materials that I'm sharing. I don't put that on a QR code. I put the MailChimp sign up on a QR code and they can request access to the materials. And that's how I get their email list. And then on MailChimp, you can tag it. So I will say, you know, ISTE conference, ASCD conference, um, Innovative School Summit conference, like wherever I am, I tag it so that then I can follow up with an email like, hey, thanks for attending my session at blah, 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 blah. And I know that that's who the audience is. Um, and then when I am presenting, I often will share that link to the MailChimp out on Twitter and say, hey, I'm sharing these resources with everyone. Even if you're not here at ISTE, you can get these free resources too. And it, you get, a, you get a access to my complete PowerPoint. And I get, it's not uncommon for me to get one or 200 new email addresses in a single breakout session. And there might only be 30 people in my session. But it's because of that out on Twitter. And that being said, you don't want to give everything away on a PowerPoint. So make sure that you don't have your script on the PowerPoint. If you're going to be talking about, I don't know, being strained and drained, you got a picture of an apple on there and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) That is all right. That's all right. Now, before we go, Connie, I want your best advice for hacking the consulting game. Hmm. I think I've shared a lot of those things already. So let me let me see if I can kind of pull them in together is make yourself relevant. Try instead of selling yourself, try to um, offer solutions, help, advice, tips for people. And when they see that you can provide a service or some information for them, they'll seek you out for more. Uh, but if you're constantly like, buy my book or come to my session or do this, like there's no, why? Why should I do that? So instead, it's here's a tip on how to ask reflective questions and you give it to them for free. For more information, you know, you, you can provide that. Um, so don't sell yourself. Make sure that you have things that are relevant and, you know, just allow time. I guess sometimes these cards, I might get somebody two years later to say, I saw you a couple of years ago and now I am a school principal. Well, I was a teacher at the time and now I'm a school principal and I want you to come and train my whole staff. And so keeping that door open and providing, making yourself accessible. Um, one other Thing that I do is that anybody that tells me that they're doing a book study, this is what I'm going to do today after I get off this podcast, recording this podcast with you. I record like a two-minute personalized um, kickoff video for any school district that asks for it. Um, I learned this from Dave Burgess. He did it for me when I was a curriculum director, and I thought, that's brilliant. So I just get on and I say, hey, this is how I wrote the book. This is how you should maneuver through the chapters. Here's a couple of things that you wouldn't know. And, you know, enjoy. Thanks for reading my book. 
and people love that. Love wow. it. Wow. People, you should be, I should charge you for this episode. This it is, makes you accessible. <laughs> this is dope. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Connie, for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's good to see you again. You're welcome. Yeah, it is. It is. It is. So hopefully we'll, inshallah, catch each other at a conference. Um, you know, since I, I got the, I got my fourth Pfizer and uh, I need to get my fifth when I went, actually went to the clinic to get one, but I had some congestion going on and she was like, mm. well, I don't know. Let's take a COVID test first. And then I did come up negative. Ooh, no wrong or not. But she told me, she said, wait, just wait to make sure you all clear it up and then come back. So uh, I'm getting there and then I need to go get my fifth one because now I'm feeling a little more comfortable and getting out there because you know, I had my fourth one, went to ISTE, but then ISTE had right. you know, a breakout. Yeah. Woo! But see, the wife and I didn't go to those night events. <laughs> so we were like, okay. But I was like, oh, we missed it. We missed it. Uh, so getting the fifth one so I can, you know, be a lot more, more, even more comfortable with actually getting back out there on the conference scene. Uh, because uh, I'm presenting at a conference in February and it's going to be like, okay, now uh, I'm, ba- I'm I'm back there. Cause I want to be comfortable. You know, you know how when you go to, con- I don't want to just go to the conference and be like, all right, I present it. I'm out. I want to network. I want to get, you know, mm-hmm. fellowship. I want to talk to people and see what's going on in different school districts mm-hmm. and uh, getting different nuggets, you know, that I can get from people and, and possibly, you know, let people say, hey, you know, I can kind of do this, you know. Mm-hmm. Come school, this come in. That's how uh, it happens. You know, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to that. So, again, uh, thank you for coming on. And people, you know how I do this. This podcast episode is going to be an Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Simplecast, Stitcher, Spotify, Audible. And I need you to subscribe. And I'm on all major podcast uh, platforms. So go subscribe, share with your network. But I'm only, well, not only, but I'm really trying to grow an Apple podcast. So not only subscribe there, listen. And hey, can a brother get some stars and some reviews? Because I'm trying to be found, but I'm also trying to get Jay-Z on the show. And I want him to know that we're doing dope things around here. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Connie Hamilton, for coming on and dropping so many gems and for you for checking out another episode of the Dr. Will Show, the mobile university for entrepreneurs. As always, people, invest in you. EDU, peace. <laughs>